behind my house uh, up in Cobleskill, New York, where I grew up, it's uh, Elm, it was not Elm Street, Grand Street, North Grand Street, uh, there was a rhubarb patch. Uh, now, if you're not familiar with rhubarb, a little excitement over the rhubarb patch. Don't try to grow it down in Florida. It doesn't work. It needs some cold. I don't even have to explain rhubarb to you. It's, it's a red stalk, and in case you didn't know. It, was, it looks like celery, but it's a lot bigger and a lot redder. But the distinctive part about the rhubarb patch isn't the stalk itself. It's the leaves. They can get quite massive. And just to show you how big they can get. Yeah. Isn't that huge? Uh, there's a picture somewhere of me four or five years old holding a leaf up in front of myself covering my entire body. Um, now I don't have any theological or biblical proof for what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. I have suspicions that there was a rhubarb patch in the Garden of Eden. Because when Adam and Eve fell, they had to hide themselves, and that's, that's the leaf that I would use. Uh, that is uh, also the leaf that I would use to tie aprons to myself to cover. And uh, so, um, yeah, no proof of that, but I, I think there was. When man fell to sin, he, his first reaction was to hide himself. And he has been hiding ever since. <clears throat> the call of God walking through the garden directly preceding and after the, the fall was, Adam, where are you? And God has been echoing that question down through the ages to mankind. Now, when God asked that question, he wasn't asking his physical location. God knew where he was. He was asking Adam and Eve to face what they had done, to come out in the open, to come clean, if you will, before the Lord and say, we have sinned. The rhubarb leaves were taken away when Adam and Eve came out in a coat of skin. The death of an animal required the covering of their sin, foreshadowing the redemptive plan of God and the death of his son. <clears throat> but man has been hiding behind rhubarb leaves from the very start. Some hide uh, behind, oh, you name it, their ego. They hide behind their, we hide, we hide behind our knowledge. We hide behind our accomplishments. We hide behind a thousand masks, refusing to come out in the open and face it like it really is. Chambers said it like this in asking the question, have you ever reconciled yourself to the fact of sin? Chambers writes, the climax of sin is that it crucified Jesus Christ. When we begin our lives, we do not reconcile ourselves to the fact of sin. We take a rational view of life and say that a man, by looking after his own instincts, educating himself, controlling the ape and the tiger in him, I like that, can produce that life that will slowly evolve into the life of God. 
But as we go on, we find there is something that we have not taken into consideration. The fact of sin within us. There is no thicker leaf to hide behind than the leaf of religion. It is probably man's favorite. Whether that religion takes a quasi-Christian form or not. Our ability, or or the thought of our ability to work our way back to God. Whether it is through bowing down to a a, a little round Buddha, Buddha thing. Or whether it's to... Pray for a revival to come within a Baptist church or whether it's to go through the rites of um, a Catholic religion or whether it's to perform all the requirements of a Lutheran church or you just name it, pick it out. It is all an attempt to get to him apart from him simply coming to us. 2,000 years ago when he died, the veil was torn in two, ripped in two. And man has been trying to sew that up for 2,000 years, making it hard to get to God. We find it in today's lesson, today's scripture text. This is the last time that Jesus is going to speak to the crowds. After today, he will pull himself back. In fact, if you look at John chapter 12, with me, and you'll look at verse 36b, it is one of the most terrifying, terrifying statements in all of Scripture. It's going to be in the response to the crowd, to his response of his declaration of his death. Part B of verse 36 in chapter 12 goes like this. When Jesus heard these things that we'll look at in just a minute, It says, he departed and hid himself from them. That, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the most terrifying verses you'll ever read. That the source of life would hide himself from them. Well, for what things? Uh, Back in verse 32, if you'll look at it with me, he talks about being lifted up from the earth. He'll draw all men to himself. 33 makes it very clear that what he was referring to was his death. And they got the message because they had a question. But it was more than a question. Notice verse 34. So the crowd answered him. We have heard from the law. Enter the religious rhubarb leaf. Enter those who know the Bible. Sure of their doctrine. Sure of what the Bible says. Hide behind the mask of a religious attempt to get to God. We have heard from the law. So sure. It's when a man is, we are crippled by what we know. We are held back from our confidence. That we've got it all down. We have heard from the law. Notice that the Christ remains forever. They took the verses they wanted, they looked at the verses, they, and sure enough, lots of Old Testament passages talk about Christ reigning forever and ever. Notice their arrogant next statement. How can you say, 
that the Son of Man, and they correctly associated the Son of Man with the Christ. Good for them, but how can you say that the Son of Man has, must be lifted up? How can you say that this Messiah, this Christ, must die? That's not in our theology. That's not in our doctrine. That's not in our plan and program. Uh, in the words of William Barclay, they were attempting to impale him upon the horns of an inescapable dilemma. <laughs> Notice the next thing they said, who is this son of man? Now, we weren't there to hear the tenor of their question and the mood in which they asked it, but I think it's very clear from Jesus' response because in verse 35 it says, so Jesus said to them, he did not answer their question. He immediately goes into something uh, of an analogy type between light and darkness, implying clearly that they were in the darkness of a rhubarb leaf at this point. Now, they should have known. Look up, if you would. They, they should have known that the Messiah was going to die. Plenty of verses talk about the death of of Jesus Christ, the death of the Messiah. They should have known. They didn't want to face what was clearly the first coming of Jesus Christ. Psalm 22 is a, a detailed description of crucifixion, of what Christ would suffer on the cross. But I think there's nothing clearer than Isaiah. Take a look at a couple of verses. In Isaiah 53, 7, it is promised in the Messiah that he was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears was silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jews clearly knew this entire chapter was messianic. Chose to ignore this. Notice a few verses later in Isaiah 53, 9. And he made his grave. You make your grave, you're dead. And he made his grave, notice, with the wicked. Because he wasn't. But he died as wicked as one of us. As sin. Made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. They should have known. They chose the verses they wanted. They, they chose the truths that appealed to them. And when he came, they were, they were just blindsided. They didn't see it. In fact, they were arrogant enough to rebuke him in saying, who is this son of man? They should have known. Take a look back at the text, if you will. Look at verse 35. So Jesus said to them, this whole set of verses is a powerful rebuke to them and notice to us. He says, the light is among you. The light is among you for a little while longer. Let me stop and say mankind hates Jesus Christ. Let me say this world hates him. If you think they've changed their opinion in 2,000 years, they have not. Men live in darkness. Christians sometimes hide in the rhubarb patches of their own religion satisfied with a set of, 
of commandments to follow versus a living relationship with the Lord that must be submitted to. I heard a preacher last week on TV, and this is a classic statement I've heard over the years from evangelicals, said this, this world is waiting for the manifestation of the love of God through the church. And the crowd went nuts, as they always do. This world is just waiting for the church to come alive. This world is not waiting for the manifestation of God at all. This world hates God. Always has, always will. They want love, they just don't want Jesus that comes along with it. They don't want the Messiah to be bowed down to. They don't want a Lord because they're the Lord of their own lives. God is choosing a people out of the darkness for himself. He is choosing sons and daughters of light who will come out from the rhubarb. But this world has long ago, at this moment, rejecting him. But he says to them this dire warning. The light is among you for a little while longer. It won't be here forever. In a local context, it was the presence, the physical presence of Jesus Christ. In a more wider broadcast, thought it is the light of Jesus Christ walks with us. He is here. He is, he is, he walks alongside of men, giving them light, offering them light, but not forever. There's this There's this time bubble. Men will not respond to light. You know you don't get saved when it's your pleasure. You don't get saved when you want to. I agree with the good words of Arthur Pink. This invitation is not for you to take up at your pleasure. This is the command to come to Christ And if you do not, there is a doomsday of darkness. Notice what he says. Walk while you have the light. Now most people walk, they walk forward, not backwards. The implication is when you see light, respond and move toward it. Now, for those of you who love the Armenian Who's the other guy? Calvin. Calvin. The the whole Armenian Calvinistic debate. There are no richer verses than these. We'll see both side by side. So put on your thinking caps. And second thought, be careful with that. (laughs) Stuff may blow your mind. Take a look at it. Notice, walk, respond. The light is here. He won't be here forever. Respond. Look, Christian, and I'm speaking to almost all of you believers in Christ. When God gives you light, when the Spirit of God progressively shows you truth, don't sit still. Walk toward it. Walk toward it because it will not always be there. Walk, walk toward it. Embrace truth as he shows it to you. Notice he says, walk while you have the light. Lest darkness overtake you. The light moves on, and we're left in darkness. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. This is not speaking of destination, like I don't know where I'm going. You you don't even know that you're not going anywhere. Think back before you knew Christ. 
if you can. Think back to the, the darkness. Did you know you were going to hell? You were pretty happy, weren't you? In fact, this Christian thing messed a lot of your lives up. You didn't have turmoil until you came to Christ and then everything fell apart. But you didn't have anything until you came to Him. You were in a black room and you just kept bumping into walls and you didn't know why your face hurt. You didn't figure it out. You were in a peck of trouble, didn't even know it. It was a semi coming down the freeway fixing to smack you right in the face and kill you and run you over flat and you didn't even know you were on the highway. He that is in darkness doesn't even know where he's going, doesn't even know he's in trouble. Thank God for the Spirit of God who woke us up. We'd be in a mess without him. Notice, believe, or notice why you have the light. Don't, Don't miss the word. Believe in the light. Don't be students of the light. Don't be experts of the light. There are guys who are filled with so many Bible verses. They're so theological. Just get online and start debating. They know everything. Don't be students of it. Don't be experts to it. Don't be simply proclaimers of the light. Believe in the light. It's a difference. This is very intimate. This is very personal. This is very relational. Believe. Embrace the light of Jesus Christ. You'll be a lot further down the road than if you just... I'm going to learn every aspect of it. Like you could pick it apart. Watch the clouds go over. Tell me where they came from. How does a bird soar? You don't know. I don't know. These are mysteries that are real. Believe in the light of Jesus Christ. Notice he says that you may... Notice, notice he says that don't... It doesn't say... Well, let's go on. That you may become the sons of light. Did you catch the son's thing? That you might be personally related to me in a state of sonship. Uh, Kevin John sits over there with Kyle. Kyle being his son. Kyle doesn't have to do a thing to be Kevin's son. By, By virtue of birth, he's in the game. Best I know, Kevin, he's not holding anything back as a father because of Kyle's behavior. Now, maybe he is. <laughs> but all things that are Kevin's are Kyle's based on sonship, that you might be sons of light. Don't let any Christian ever put restrictions on the love of God to you or the access to the relationship with you. Amen. Put you into bondage, tell you you've got to do all this stuff. You are sons of light right now. Amen. We need to hear that every Sunday, don't we? It's just, like, it's just like food to our souls. Notice verse, now I, I promised you Armenians and you Calvinists a, a battle, so here we go. Notice when Jesus has said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And though he had done so many things before them, they still did not believe in him. Wow. Think about what he did. Think about the water he walked on, the thousands he fed with two loaves and a a few fishes. Think about it. 
Think about the raising of the dead of Lazarus. Think about the, the impotent man raised and walking through the temple. Think about the water being turned into wine. He, he did these miracles, in, not, in front, not in a corner. He did it in front of thousands of people. They watched him. They listened to him. His words were magnificent. His presence, no man could put a finger on any sin he had ever done. He displayed his glory openly and with power and with glory. And in the end, they walked away. And this world walks away because of sin. Because of the desire to stay in darkness. John tells us earlier in the gospel that the light has come. And men hate the light because they love their darkness. They love what they can do behind the rhubarb leaf. They love that they're in charge behind the rhubarb leaf. All the things he did and they walked away. There are those who listen to me week by week. And you walk away from the truth of Jesus Christ. Because you prefer your own way versus his. Notice verse 37, 38. This was done so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, this is Isaiah 53. Lord, who hath believed, the old King James is, who hath believed our report? ESV says, who hath believed what he heard from us, being the Trinity, the power of the expression of the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son, expressing the glory of the Son, who hath believed it? This is free will. Every man has an opportunity to believe. Whosoever will is shot through the Bible. The last thing that God says in the book of Revelation, look it up, the last chapter, one of the last verses is, whosoever will may drink freely of the water of life. Anybody can come. Anybody, whosoever will, put your name on there. He's chosen none for destruction. And yet, look at the next verse. It is clearly just as biblical and just as powerful. And to whom is the arm or power or strength we being Christ, to whom is the Lord revealed? He chooses. He reveals. Therefore, they could not believe. Why couldn't they believe? Because they didn't believe. The longer they rejected the light, the harder their hearts got. In fact, look what it says. Isaiah says again, in chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah, he has blinded their eyes. He has hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Wow. We choose. He chooses. By his, let me give you my theology in a nutshell, okay? God predestines those who are going to be saved. Amen. He chooses. He does not choose based on his foreknowledge of our choice. That would be to castrate the doctrine of predestination. God chooses because he sovereignly chooses. If you're here today and you know Christ, he has chosen you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Amen. But in his choosing of you, he does not violate your free will to come and to choose him. 
To do so would be a violation of his righteousness and would wipe clean every verse that says, whosoever will may come. And in the end, make him unrighteous to judge at the white throne judgment those who have rejected him. It cannot be a righteous judgment if they had not had opportunity to receive him. How does God do that? You ready? I don't know. This is where you leave your brain behind and realize that an ant can't figure it out. Go to a two-year-old and ask him to figure out a, a, a complicated algebraic problem. The two-year-old will look at you and go, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Does that make the mathematical problem irrelevant? No. He doesn't have the capacity. And we don't have the capacity to understand these things. These are the mysteries of the sovereignty of God. I embrace both truths. I'll run down the Calvinistic route a little stronger than I will the Armenians. But not to the hypertense where men do not have a choice. Oh no. There's too many verses in the Bible to flip the other side. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ... Walk these aisles and receive him. Or stay right back there and receive him. And you know what you'll discover? You'll discover you were chosen. Don't worry about being chosen. Just come. You know? On one side of the door it says, whosoever will. Just go through, man. And when you get down, you kick the door open, you close, and you look back around, it says chosen. It's two sides of the same door. Three things. Number one. Belief, unbelief, is the default mode of every human heart. If you believe in Christ, it's because the miracle of the grace of God gave you the faith to believe in Christ. The default mode of every human heart, because of the fact of sin, is to not believe God. Faith is not, faith is a gift from God. That he grants those who have opened their heart and choose him with their heart. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that exciting? Number two. Faith is not born with your eyes. You know that. They saw a million. They saw all his miracles. They heard all his teachings. And they walked away because faith doesn't come by what you see. You ever heard somebody say, well, if God would just drop a pink elephant out of the sky into the back, you know. No, you wouldn't. Because faith doesn't come by what you see. Faith comes, it is with the heart of man. And it is with the heart of man yielding his will to the lordship and saviorship of Jesus Christ. It is coming off the throne of sin and embracing him. And number three, wandering is a result of unbelief. You ever been to your food pantry? You ever been into your, where you keep your food and you've st- you stood there for about 10 minutes and you, you wanted to eat something and you just didn't know what you wanted? You didn't know if you wanted salt, or sugar. You didn't know if you wanted, you know, the Fruit Loops over there. Or... You just didn't know what you wanted. Finally frustrated, you just walked away. You ever wonder why you're anxious? 
and you don't know why? Do you ever wonder, do you ever wonder why you're discouraged and there's no good reason to be discouraged? Do, do you ever wonder in your human heart why you feel empty? You almost don't want to face the day and you don't know why. Can I tell you why? Because a life focused on yourself of unbelief of God is a life of wandering. It's constantly running into walls. A toaster was never meant to be plugged into itself. You'll never burn anything that way. Your life was meant to be focused in faith and rest in Jesus Christ. And as long as you're absorbed with yourself, you will be discontent. Augustine said it well. The heart is restless until it finds its rest in him.